Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. In the mid-19th century, Lexington would witness a devastating outbreak of the cholera, not once, but twice. The first epidemic would come to the city of about 7,000 inhabitants in the summer of 1833, killing 500 people. The waterborne bacteria would seep into the city's water source, infecting the young and the old. Then again in 1849, an outbreak would affect cities in the state of Kentucky and many other states, and among those killed were former President James K. Polk and hundreds of people seeking gold in the rush of 1849. In tragedy, Families are devastated by loss, and yet heroes emerge. We hope to highlight their stories and preserve a piece of Lexington history through this next series of podcasts. You will hear the stories of William King Solomon and Aunt Charlotte, and the orphanage that emerged through the philanthropic efforts of Mariah Gratz, as well as the home of the friendless that would eventually become Ashland Terrace. As always, thank you for spending your time with us and listening. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us. And today we have Megan Couch. She is going to discuss the cholera epidemic of 1849. Megan is a graduate student studying public history at Northern Kentucky University. Her interest is in medical history and early Lexington. She is doing her senior capstone on the epidemic and is a frequent user of our Kentucky Room. We are excited to host an exhibit on her research in April of 2019, and that's going to coincide with the 170th anniversary of the cholera epidemic. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. When the cholera of 1849 came to Lexington, who were the people that were most affected by the, the disease and how many people died of the cholera? So this disease affected all kinds of people from various backgrounds. Um, the disease claimed the lives of people from different races, genders, age groups, class structures. Um, just to kind of give an example, I picked July 28th of 1849 to show kind of the range of these victims. Um, in that day, there were 10 deaths from cholera in the city. Wow. Of these 10 people, six were males, three females, and one child whose gender is unknown. Okay. Five of these 10 people were enslaved people, and four were children. So okay. this disease truly struck everyone. So it did not discriminate at all. Exactly. And this research was found, you had found it in in the newspapers, the announcements? Mm-hmm. Right. So I started going through the Lexington Observer and Reporter okay. because at the time they were publishing twice a week um, the names mm-hmm. of the victims um, and also a little bit of information about them, which definitely helps with the research. Yeah. Um, so in late August of 1849, they published um, at the time a comprehensive list of all the victims. Okay. Um, and they reported that number to be 344. Wow. I started going going through and just kind of making sure that this number was accurate. And what I found in my research was that it was not. Okay. And so what I did, first of all, is the Kentucky Historical Society has a register Mm -hmm. um, of marriages and obituaries and going through and cross-referencing that list with what the Lexington Observer and Reporter had reported. Mm -hmm. I found that there were 11 additional people who were not included. Okay. So that brings our total up to 355. Okay. I also looked in other sources. Um, There are a lot of books about early burial grounds in Lexington. 
combining that information with other newspapers, mm-hmm. um, I found an additional five victims. Wow. So we now have a total of 360. And right now that's the number I'm kind of working with. But okay. I'm also going through and just trying to make sure that anyone else who died in the summer of 1849 in Lexington, you know, can we find any information about what was the cause of death so we can make sure this list is you know, as complete as we want. Yes. Okay. Um, so this was the second go around of the outbreak. Did medical professionals in the community know more about the condition? Did they learn from the 1833 cholera epidemic in order to recognize the symptoms and to identify it? Yeah, so the idea that cholera was caused by miasma, which was bad air, was still the most common belief at the time. Um, Treatments such as calomel and bleeding were still used Mm -hmm. uh, most commonly. These treatments are extremely harmful, which we know now. But at the time, I do believe that physicians were doing the best they could. With what they knew. Exactly. Can you describe to us what calomel treatment was? What what did that entail? Yeah, so calomel is a liquid that Mm -hmm. was injected into the patient. Um, It was kind of similar to morphine, where it would just kind of, you know, subside the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's extremely toxic. Mm -hmm. So that eventually caused the death of most people, was a calomel overdose. Wow. Okay. What was the reaction of the Lexington residents once they identified um, that there is an outbreak? Um, did people try to run away or, or kind of take precautions? Yeah, so most Lexington residents, if you could afford to leave the city, you mm-hmm. did. Um, Keene Springs, which is in Nicholasville now, yeah. was a very mm-hmm. common place for a lot of people to go. Traffic also almost entirely stopped between the city and surrounding cities. Mm-hmm. People just really kind of stayed in their home. Yeah, so sort of a, a self-quarantine kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the victims that were affected? Um, I know that your research... You discovered so many stories of families that were affected, that were either wiped out or almost wiped out. Just give us some, you know, family history yeah. of Lexington. So some of the most important names that always come up with this epidemic are Robert Todd, Mary Todd Lincoln's father. Yes. Um, we also hear about John Wesley Hunt and kind of mm-hmm. the question if he was a victim or not, um, which in my research, I do believe he was okay. a victim of cholera. But what I found most interesting is finding more about these families who are not represented, mm-hmm. maybe some of the poorer families. Yeah. Um, and one of the most interesting things I found is that this disease could have completely decimated some families. Okay. Um, I found two families, the Nichols family and the Harney family, which mm-hmm. were a mother, a father, and a child. And all three family members mm-hmm. in both families um, did die of cholera. Some were in a matter of hours and somewhere in a matter of days, um, depending. But perhaps the most interesting family that I found um, was the Fitnam family. Fitnam? Yes, Fitnam. It's a very unusual surname. It is, is, yeah. (laughs) Google will always try to autocorrect it to something else. (laughs) (laughs) So I came across this family because when I was going through the Lexington Observer and Reporter, I was noticing this name coming up quite a bit. So I did a little research, and I found out that it was a family of Christopher, which was the father, his wife, Elizabeth, and then they had four children, Jane, Oscar, Alice, and Cornelia. Mm -hmm. And all of these children died within a three-day span of each other, including their wife. It was, yes. Um, Jane and Alice actually died on the same day, too. Um, So I started wanting to know more about them. Mm -hmm. What happened to Christopher? He was, you know, the sole survivor of this family. Um, And so I actually traced them back to Wilmington, North Carolina. And they had quite a bit of financial hardship there. Mm -hmm. Christopher's business had actually burned down. um, And then their home was sold in a sheriff's sale. So I went through tax 
records to try to find out when they actually moved to Lexington, mm-hmm. because that was a huge question for me. And what I found is that they had actually moved to Lexington in 1849. Oh, at the same time yes. outbreak, yeah. So quite possibly the worst luck um, <laughs> to move your whole family here. And then within a matter of months, mm-hmm. they were wiped out. Yeah, that's so, incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. How did the epidemic spread so quickly? Did people not learn anything from the 1833 cholera? Well, the most common way that we know that cholera is spread is through contaminated water. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of put yourself back in 1849 and realize that these people did not know what was causing it. Yeah. You know, they didn't know about poor hygiene and sanitary conditions like we know now. Mm-hmm. So it was much easier for them to kind of make themselves more susceptible. Yeah. Um, they drank from the same cisterns, springs, wells, obviously the town branch. Yeah. So these sources were contaminated by the disease. And so yeah. you were ingesting this bacteria without even knowing it. Yeah. They also, you know, if you were a food market merchant, you could wash down your stall at the end of the day with water. With the same water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that water was getting into your food source then. Mm-hmm. So you're ingesting it both by drinking and by eating. Yeah. So it like it got everywhere, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. yeah. And one of the other interesting things I found was that the disease can essentially be spread in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you're a mother and your child has the disease and you're taking care of her, yeah. and, you know, we know the major symptom of cholera is expelling fluids in various yeah. forms, you're taking care of this child, and then you go to eat and don't wash your hands before mm-hmm. you've now ingested the bacteria. Yeah. So there are many ways this could be. Yeah. That's very, very um, sad the way that, you know, some families were, were affected and completely, mm-hmm. completely wiped out. But your research is incredibly um, interesting. And um, I was reading about some uh, some of the research that you were doing. You were talking about how some a market and vegetable mm-hmm. vendors would wash their lettuce in London, England, um, in some streams that were that had you know urine mm-hmm. um, in it, and then the 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 urine, I guess the ammonia from yeah. from it would make the vegetables brighter. Yeah, and so it would look appealing to people. It is, mm-hmm. and you, you want to sell your product, yeah. and you don't know, you know, <laughs> why it's exactly brighter and prettier. <laughs> and so you're yeah. obviously going to get more people who are purchasing this product, mm-hmm. you know, such as lettuce, because mm-hmm. the ammonia does make it look nicer. Yeah, and then now you know you're single handedly spreading the disease even further. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's queasy to think about, <laughs> but um, but yeah, this is this is what people had to deal with um, mm-hmm. back then. So it, it is a fascinating piece of history. Um, and thank you so much for sharing it. And thank you for being such a frequent user of the Kentucky <laughs> Room. We love having you. So thank, thank you. you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at L-E-X-P-U-B-L-I-B dot org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.